Hi, this is Jesslyn Etchell, and I'm chatting with some of my favorite women in a series called Wildish Wise Women, Conversations with Everyday Goddesses. It's my passion to connect women and remind us that supporting one another is our greatest strength. These discussions are an extension of the in-person women's circles I lead in the Bay Area and will explore a variety of topics. Thanks for joining us. I am here with Nicole Connell today. Nicole lives in San Jose, and she works as an educational therapist, which means that she helps individuals that don't learn in the way that society wants them to. She helps create an environment that lets all individuals shine and learn the best way for their brain. Nicole's an avid farmer's market goer, a butterfly and flower enthusiast. She loves to dance, and she loves her little dog, Lorelai. Today, Nicole's going to talk to us about the curse of the good girl. Damned if you do, and damned if you don't. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, thank you. Well, before we get started, let's just take a few moments to connect, and for those listening, you can join along too, just with some deep breathing. So we'll take an inhale through the nose. Just a nice exhale out the mouth. Take a couple breaths just to center. Create this space today. May each woman who needs the wisdom of this call find her way here. May we speak from the heart and create a wave of peace that radiates out on a global level. And may each woman remember her sacred nature and feel the value of her presence in this world. Nicole, what's your favorite thing about being a woman? Ooh, um, that's hard. There's so many things I love. Well, I loved that. I guess um, I really love, well, all not all women necessarily have to have this, but being able to feel very deeply. So when you said that beautiful blessing, I could just feel it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so let's just launch into the topic. Tell us about the curse of the good girl. What is it? So I first heard that term from an author, um, Rachel Simmons. She's really famous for her book, Odd Girl Out. Okay. Um, and I don't know how I came across it, but I came across it and I was like, oh my goodness, that's me. And there was one quote that was on Goodreads that I checked out before I actually got the book. Um, and it said, many of the most accomplished girls are disconnecting from the truest parts of themselves sacrificing essential self-knowledge to the pressure of who they think they ought to be. And I read that and I was like, okay, I get what the curse of the good girl is. And I see that I majorly have that. <laughs> so the book itself is actually called the curse of the good girl, the Rachel Simmons book. Yes. Okay. And so you just said, that's me. I got to read that. <laughs> yes. And I, it's meant for, you know, mothers who are parenting their daughters. But when I was reading reviews, I saw a bunch of moms go, oh my goodness, like I needed this for me and my daughter, but really me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how sometimes we have to reparent ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like that's an example. So, okay. So that quote really did it for you. But what else is the curse of the good girl to you? So I guess it's just really putting more value in what other people think of you or putting more value in following rules to get praise from other people rather than listening to your authentic self 
and what you really want to do. Um, and I see it starts really young with kids, even even with with dogs. You know, you say good girl and you praise them. And there's something almost um, addictive about that because you get praise from other people. And so, you know, the curse, the good girl will do anything to follow the rules and not rock the boat. So at school, that could look like, you know, listening exactly to the teacher and doing well academically. Um, and at home, it could be, you know, following the rules. And even though you really don't want to do something, you do it because your parent asks you to. Wow. Yeah, I can definitely relate to being a rule follower. Yeah. And it comes at a cost because, you know, you over time, you slowly stop listening to yourself. So at first, like the urge is like, oh, I really don't want to do that. But my teacher wants me to and then I get praised or, or my parents are going to like this. So I'm going to do it. And slowly over time, you stop listening to what you really want to do, because sometimes it's not what the rules say. Yeah. Wow. That's so true. And it just it makes me think that it's created um a society of people pleasers. Yeah. Essentially, people are looking to, to make other people happy by possibly doing something that they don't even want to do. Yeah. Um, what kind of examples did you see from your own life when you started to dive into this topic? Well, I think when it was really apparent to me was when I was negotiating my first salary position. Um, and so much of me was like, well, I want my boss to make a nice living and I don't want to ask for too much. And, you know, and then I started doing research and the more I read, it really pissed me off. Like the earning potential of a woman can be cut dramatically, you know, lower if she doesn't negotiate the first salary. Um, and one statistic said you could lose up to a million dollars in your lifetime. I mean, depending on how much your salary is. But not negotiating that first one has impacts on your earning potential. Wow. Um, and so I could see myself be like, well, I just want to be the good girl who's not asking for too much. Or like even with my with my dad, it's like, oh, what would what would my dad say if he saw me negotiate? Like he would probably want me to like follow the rules. And um, I didn't. I ended up doing a lot of research um, and negotiating. But my boss told me that I was the only woman who had done that. Um, and, you know, he's been in business for a long time. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. So I noticed it there really hugely. And then in random other subtle areas, like I noticed it a lot in um, when I would get massages and I would, you know, I would be uncomfortable and they always tell you like, oh, in the beginning, like if anything doesn't feel good, let me know. And I could see myself have this conversation in my head of like, wow, I really don't like that, but I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. And I want to be really nice to this person even though I'm paying them, um, it even happened at Esalen once. They they put your arms like above your you're lying down and they put your arms above your head and it was really uncomfortable. But I didn't say anything because I I didn't want to inconvenience the masseuse. Wow, that's that's really wild. I mean, I can relate to. I mean, not all the specific examples, but just this idea of not wanting to rock the boat and. When you said you wanted to think about your boss's like livelihood and that he was making enough money, I mean that all sounds really sweet, but it's at the risk of your own discomfort and your own um, financial loss. Oh my gosh, that yeah. that statistic is staggering. If it was a million dollars, that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Okay, so then what about the kids that you work with? So I know that you are probably seeing this a lot. Yeah, and it's really interesting because, you know, it's in some kids, and I don't know why some seem to have a proclivity or um, a disposition for it. I don't know if it's their environment. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but definitely in some girls, and to be fair, in some boys too. Um, Sure. Yeah, just really, really wanting to please. And even though like I, sometimes I can tell like, okay, I'm asking how they are and they're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm like, I don't think you're fine. Like (laughs) something's going on and I'm not going to push you to share, but, um, I think we learn to say that I'm fine pretty young rather than express how we really feel. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, can you, can I mean, can you imagine if we answered honestly every time someone asked how we were? (laughs) That would change a lot about our interactions with people. I think we just go, oh, I'm not going to burden that person. I'll just say I'm fine, even though I'm not. Right. But gosh, we could have a lot more meaningful connection if we we truly um, talk to one another in that way. Yeah, I I also see a lot of um, apologizing of I'm sorry. And I, I see if I've done it too, but I, I've noticed it in some of the kids I work with where, you know, they'll bump into me and they're like, I'm so sorry. Or they're, they'll apologize for not knowing something or, or things that aren't really needing a, an apology necessarily. They're just constantly saying sorry. Yeah. Almost like sorry for existing. Yeah. Wow. You were saying that you kind of tend to notice that it happens more in some people versus others. Is there a common denominator there? Like the person that you see it most often in, is there something that's similar about them? I don't think so. I think, I mean, it goes across all different areas of life and different families and different ethnicities. And I, it's it's weird because some some kids are just so born with that in them, I think. And then some kids are just like, I am not listening to the rules. And that's kind of where the title came from, Dan, Damned If You Do and Damned If You Don't, is I also work with kids who, even if they wanted to follow the rules, it's really hard for them to follow the rules because they've been you know, diagnosed with like ADHD and a lot of school is being quiet and sitting down and they can't do that even if they wanted to. So there's repercussions of that. Um, too. But I, I don't I don't know why some kids have it more than others. Yeah, but you've definitely noticed that it just shows up in some but not others. Yeah. And so what do we do about it, Nicole? <laughs> <laughs> what what are we gonna do about this curse of the good girl? <laughs> well, I highly recommend getting the Rachel Simmons book. Okay. It's fantastic. I I still need to practice a lot of what's in there. Uh-huh. Um she gives really specific feedback. Um but I think it's you know, nothing changes overnight. There's no like magical, okay, I don't want to be a good girl anymore and it's going to change. I think it's, you know, like any habit, it's consistently making different choices than you used to. And I I can see myself like I'll be in situations and now the dialogue in my head is louder. It's like, okay, Nicole, last time at the massage, you didn't say something, but this time you're going to do it. And sometimes <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that kind of lessens the the curse, if you want to, if we call it that. Um, but also finding, I think it, that's really important, is finding different mentors and different people who just resonate a different vibe than, I'm going to give you praise if you listen to me. Because that's pretty pervasive. I mean, I even see it in myself, like, especially with kids, they want your praise. Um, so just being around a different person who doesn't buy into that paradigm could be 
huge. Um, like I, I love, I know I've told you about her before. I love Suzanne Sterling, mm-hmm. who is a yoga teacher and a singer and just change maker. And doing work with her has really helped me shift a lot of things about being a good girl. Like she gives me the opportunity to take risks. Um, and even in her yoga classes, she'll say like, now I'm going to lead you through the sequence, but you don't have to do any of it, which that was really wild for me to hear because so often, like I would go to yoga and even if my knee hurt, I would feel the need to be in warrior one, just like everyone else. And having another person, which seems silly because I, I can always give myself the permission, but having someone else blatantly give me that permission changed a lot for me. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you found her. I know that you have so much good stuff to say about all of her work in your life. So it sounds like just noticing it is the first thing, because if, if you're even out there thinking like, oh, my gosh, I'm a good girl, too. I didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just sort of noticing that dialogue and trying to, to shift it a bit. But I guess what comes to mind for me is what are some of the challenges? I mean, once you start making different decisions, inevitably people aren't going to like it. And suddenly you're not going to be praised and people might actually be mad at you. And I I would think that that's the scariest thing in the world for the good girl. How do you sort of mitigate um, the scary stuff of, of not doing what everyone else wants you to? Oh, well, you hit it on the head. That definitely happens because once you start really saying what you think versus what other people want to hear, um, people don't like that. <laughs> You're yeah. right. Um, and so it takes a lot of courage to do that and just practice of like coming back to yourself and like, okay, they're reacting to this and I'm not taking this personally. Um, and I do, I hope (laughs) that I'll become more skillful at expressing what I need or what I think in ways that don't ruffle as many feathers. But yeah, I, I even just had an experience. I think it was two weeks ago. Actually, um, I have an amazing student who helped me prepare for this talk. She likes to be referred as um, ultra helpful, sassy coach. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I got her emails. She's very efficient and helpful. Yes. <laughs> done. Um, and she helped me outline notes and, um, and just prepare. And I was working with her um, at my office and my office has really thin walls and um, the person next to us was speaking really loudly and I knew I had to go say something, but I just didn't want to hurt this person's feelings. (laughs) And so I went next door and I was like, I I didn't have, I I couldn't do it. I just looked at these people and I was like, I was just imagining what they were going to think of me for coming in there and like telling them to please talk in a softer voice Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't do it. And so instead I like randomly grabbed a whole punch that was in there and then I went back. (laughs) Um, And my, my ultra sassy coach or helper um, friend, um, she's a middle schooler. um, She was like, okay, so did you do it? I was like, no, no, I didn't. I was too afraid of what they were going to think and I didn't want to hurt their feelings. And she looked at me and she's like, you need to go do this. You're going to feel so much better. Just do it. (laughs) I was like, okay. And so I went and I did it. I mean, I did think about how I could language it in a way that like wasn't super, I don't know, that it wasn't going to hurt their feelings. So I think I said, hey, I noticed that it's a little, you know, noisy for both of us. We're going to try and whisper, like, do you mind if you guys do the same thing? And and they received it very well. (laughs) 
So I, I think the biggest fear was my own imagination of how they were going to react rather than how it like actually happened. Oh my gosh, that's so huge. So my mom always used to tell me, don't worry about it till it happens. Cause I would spin this tall tale about how something was going to go down and how it was going to be awful. And she's like, nothing's even happened yet. Like, how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I guess that that's an instance where we're our own worst enemy, just making it more difficult for yourself. Yeah. And I think because the curse of the good girl, it's like you're, if you're so concerned about how they're, how you think you ought to be and what other people think people think of you, like that trips you up maybe more than even, you know, what happens when you have the conversations. It's more the freaking out that they're going to not like it, even if that doesn't even come to pass. Like this, that didn't come to pass in this situation. Yeah. But it still almost stopped you from doing it. Well, props to your sassy coach for yeah, pushing you. <laughs> I love when uh, there's a mutual gain in your work with these kids, because obviously I know you're doing a lot of great work with her, but she's giving it right back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm so lucky. I have like a teacher here with me. Like, this is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So then I guess she's she, she's got it down then <laughs> in terms of, of not being uh, falling to this curse. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was cool. You know, I think talking about it um, was pretty cool for both of us because even though she's aware of this, like, you know, it's not an everyday conversation that most grownups have or most kids. It's not a conversation that most people have. And it's fun to hear her report back. Like she came back the next time and she was like, Nicole, there was this, you know, this girl sitting next to me who was singing really loudly and it like was distracting me from my work. And I said something to her. Nice. <laughs> I was like, wow, like I wouldn't have done that if I was a sixth grader. Yeah. Well, isn't that great that we can um, educate that next generation to be further along than we are now? <laughs> yeah. I think that's wonderful. I know that sometime back I, I read about this idea and it wasn't specifically about this good girl curse, so to speak, in terms of like a deeply rooted thing, but it was about our languaging, which I think yeah. um, plays into all of this when um, we used to talk about dogs, but people do it with kids all the time. Oh, you're a good girl or you're a good boy. And that's so vague. Yeah. That's, I think that's pretty damaging. I know I became a little more aware of it after whatever article I came across and it I don't know if, if Rachel goes into this in her book, but it's it talked about changing the language for sure, um, saying thanks for being a helper, you know, like be very specific about why you're giving praise to a child. Like you've done this good thing, not just like, oh, blanket statement, you're a good girl. Yeah. Because then they can't, I guess, can't determine like, okay, how do I, how do I stay in the good girl category? <laughs> Right. And like, what does good even mean? Like, yeah. good is not like, to me, it's not like necessarily a moral virtuous thing. But it's kind of like you're being good because you're following my rules and you're not being disruptive and you're fitting in with my world being a certain way. Right. So, you know, a kid could start screaming and they wouldn't get praise for being a good girl for that because it, it upsets the ears of the grownups. Yeah. So it's very subjective. Yeah, yes, is. definitely specific praise, well, praise, specific pointing out um, is great. When I was at Davis in my undergrad, I first heard about this preschool, and I thought it was, like, nuts. They, they only use, like, observational language, so there is no good girl, there is no great job, 
Um, you just basically, as a grown-up, you go in and you're like, I see you're playing with the ball. Wow, the ball went far. And it's it's like sports casting. I, I'm not sure still how I feel about it. But I do think they were on to something about not giving the blanket praise because it's, it's almost like an addiction. Like kids keep wanting that praise and that like smile reaction from an adult. Yeah, that's true. And I think that parents don't mean any harm or uh, adults of all kinds don't mean any harm for sure. We want to, you know, be loving towards our kids, but I think this just changes that perspective that maybe it's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. What are some other tips that Rachel gives some exercises or some things that you're um, working on from that book? Um, she has, I can't recall them off the top of my head. I'm listening to audiobooks. They're, they're all kind of in my head right now. Um, but just a specific way of handling conflict resolution, without, without blaming, I can't recall them all right now, but one thing that is coming to me, um, I guess is honoring all parts. And I don't know if this is in the book or just in my head is honoring all parts of a child's experience that, you know, the, the good things or when they're behaving, like those aren't more heavily weighted than when they're screaming and showing a different side of themselves. I think it's important for kids to see that all parts of themselves are welcome and accepted. Um, because when we just praise the good girl and like, oh, you're being so good, then kids start wanting to be that all the time. But as humans, we're not always good. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess not, not reacting or taking um, it personally when a kid isn't acting in accordance with how you want them to act. Yeah. And I figure you can probably put that back on yourself as well in just honoring all of your emotions, not yeah. just considering yourself a good girl um, when you're happy or when you're outgoing or, you know, in a good mood, but also just honoring everything that comes out as part of the human experience. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share in regards to this idea and, and what it's meant to you in your life? Um, no, I, I think we pretty much covered it. I would just encourage um, if anyone felt like they resonated with the curse of the good girl to be kind to yourself. And it's okay that, you know, you might notice this and you want to make shifts there. There's no rush in in making any big changes. It'll all happen in its own time. Oh, that's beautiful permission. Thanks for adding that. Um, because it sounds like if it's something that's so deeply rooted, it's not going to change overnight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your specific examples that you shared were, were perfect with the massage. Like, okay, so last time I didn't speak up, but this time maybe I will. And it doesn't always happen. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> Pro progress. Yeah. Progress, yeah. not perfection. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'd love to ask you just a couple unrelated questions. What's another book that changed your life besides this one? <laughs> oh, there's so many good ones. Um, last book that changed my... Mm, I really like Women Who Run With the Wolves, I would say. And, and I've only listened to the audio abridged version, so I haven't read the whole thing. But just listening to the uh, the voice was just like, wow, there's another archetype of a woman that isn't just nice. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, and what's your favorite yoga pose? 
Ooh, oh, definitely. Let's see, do I remember the name? Um, I like side angle pose, and I, I like it with the elbow on the knee, not the hand all the way down. Oh, very specific. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> it, it, it has to be just right. <laughs> I like it. And do you have anybody who inspires you? Oh, so many people. Well, all of my kids do, um, yeah. definitely. Everyone that I work with. Um, and let's see. I'm also really inspired by um, Rochelle Sheik, who actually, that book didn't come to mind, but that book has hugely influenced my life too. Um, she has a movement system and a book called Koya. And she inspires me because, um, well, her tagline is like, Koya is wise, wild, and free, just like you. And I'm like, oh, I can be wise, wild, and free? Like, oh, that's inspiring. I can live a life that's so different than what I thought I was supposed to do. Oh, I love that. Well, that's a beautiful way for us to wrap up. Thanks for your time, Nicole, and for sharing your personal journey and all the good work that you do with your the kids in your life. And special thanks to your sassy helper. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Nicole. You're welcome.